Uh, We're going to read from Matthew chapter 20, starting from verse 1. All right, let's read. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Good evening, everybody. My name's Jai. Uh, We're going to have a look at this passage we just had, wonderfully read by Ange. Uh, So I encourage you to have your Bibles open at Matthew chapter 20. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 16 tonight. But before we do that, let me pray for us. Dear gracious God, we thank you for this opportunity to jump into your word. And Father, as we uh, meditate on your word and learn things that, uh, that some of us have heard numbers of times, Father, we pray that we would hear this afresh with great joy and delight. And for those of us who may not have heard this before or only heard it a couple of times, Father, we pray that it would be a great joy and delight to us tonight as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the great things about the Bible is it has numbers in it, like verse numbers and chapter numbers, so it makes it easy for us to locate things. So I go, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 20. Where do you go? Well, you look for the big 20, and that's the chapter, and you start. Slight problem sometimes is that we feel like that at the end of a chapter, we move on to a whole new thing. And our little problem this evening is that this parable of Jesus in chapter 20 actually started part of, as part of a longer teaching of Jesus back in chapter 19. And so to really pick up what is going on, we need to go back to 19, which is what we're going to do. We're not going to spend heaps of time on it. 
Okay, I encourage you to have a read of it later. We're not going to spend heaps of time, but I want you to go back and have a look. Because this all starts in chapter 19, and we'll pick it up about halfway through in verse 16, where we see that there is a rich young man comes to Jesus and says, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? What good thing must I do? This guy is eager to get in to heaven. He wants to be with God forever. He can think of nothing better than spending eternity with God forever. But he's worried that on that day when he stands before God and the scales are weighed, that the bad things are going to outweigh the good things. So he wants to know what the good thing is that he needs to do so that the scales balance the other way. Now, we don't think like that at all, do we? Well, this is where we all say, no, no. But sometimes we do, don't we? Sometimes we look at others and go, well, I'm a bit better than them, so I'll be all right. Or it's just one little thing. It's not that bad. My, my, you know, the weighing system is going to be in my favour anyway. Even though we know that it's not about that good thing that we do, there are sometimes we actually live out as though that is not the case. We actually live out as though our good will actually outweigh our bad in the end. And this is what Jesus is talking about in the end of the chapter 19 and into our parable. Because what we find is that this young rich man is told, here is the good thing, keep all the commandments. He says, I've done that since I was a little boy. So awesome. We still want to do that one good thing then sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come, follow me. And it's at that point, this rich man says, that is too much. Now, Jesus is not selling us all to sell our possessions and follow him and live a life of poverty. No, what he's saying is that this young man, he valued his treasures and his possessions way more than he actually treasured the kingdom of God. He wanted those things actually more than he wanted heaven. And then Jesus goes on and says the, the famous thing, which I'm not going to unpack now. It's a whole other sermon. But it's easier for a rich man to, uh, to get in heaven. Sorry, it's hard for a rich man to get in heaven. It's easier for a, a camel to go through an eye of a needle. As I said, not going to unpack that now. That's a big one. And it continues on until we get to a question that Peter asked. Now, Peter always asks the great questions, doesn't he? He asks the questions that sometimes we would like to ask. I feel like all the other disciples are kind of asking, this, uh, thinking the same question, and Peter's the only one that is maybe naive or silly or whatever it is, but he's the one that just has no filter and just says it. You know, that, that, those sort of people, they think something, there's no sort of pause and go, actually, that's just an internal thought. He says, no, this is it. This is what I need to ask. He says in uh, chapter 19, verse 27, which is on the screen, he says, we have left everything to follow you. What, will, what then will there be for us? Do you hear what uh, Peter is saying? He's saying, we have done good. Surely the, the, way, uh, the, the scale system is in our favour. What will be our reward? 
And it's this point where we go, oh, Peter, if you only knew what we knew, you knew that that's a silly question. Because we never act like that at all. And so what Jesus now does is he goes on and he actually answers Peter at the end of chapter 19 and into the parable that we have before us tonight. It is actually part of the answer to Peter's question. Well, what then will be there for us? What will be our reward? Because we've given up everything. Basically, the point of this parable, the, the, the most simplest way you could describe this parable is that the kingdom of heaven is not about merit, but about grace. It is not about what we do, it is about what has been done for us. That is grace. As uh, Paul says in Ephesians uh, 2, 8 and 9, he says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God not by works, so that no one can boast. It is all about what God has done for us, not what we do. We cannot assume to earn God's blessing by any works or any good that we do. It is all a gift of God. It is a gift of his grace towards us. And so this parable of the workers in the vineyard teaches us not only that salvation is by grace, but also our entire life, especially our entire Christian lives, are to be, lived, to be lived on the basis of God's grace. This parable tells us two amazing things about God's grace. And here's what they are. That God's grace, that God in his grace is amazingly generous and his grace is amazingly given. And so let's have a look at the, the amazing generosity of God's grace first. Have a look. If you've got your Bibles, this is where I want you to have them open. It's always a good thing. Make sure that what I'm saying is what's here. Matthew 20. And friends, we say that this word of God is life. It is transforming. It is something that we should have with us at all times. And I encourage you to have that with you when you're at church. So let's have a look. Chapter 20. We see that there is a, a landowner who has a vineyard and he needs some people to go and work it. He needs to go and hire some labourers. So what does he do? He heads out to the marketplace and he finds at about 6am in the morning some labourers standing around and he hires them. And then throughout the day, bit by bit, we see him hiring more and more. He keeps returning to the marketplace to hire more. And then finally, at around about 5pm, he hires the last group. Now this last group are only going to work for about an hour. The average working day for a labourer in a field in this time of Jesus, your, hour, your, your day was 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And we complain about 9 to 5. 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. 
And so we see him hiring labourers for one hour of work. The first group of workers, well, they agreed to a fair deal that they would get paid a denarius, which was the ordinary sort of wage for a day. That was the standard going rate. And then what we find as he hires the others that he could have actually paid them on an hourly rate. He could have given them less than a denarius. He could have given them a bit less as each one was hired. But instead, we see the landowner pay not according to debt or what was owed, but actually pay according to grace. See, the parable focuses particularly on the workers who are hired at the 11th hour, the ones who only work for an hour, because they are treated extremely generous, each receiving 12 times what they should have got. If you think about it, they should have got an hour's worth of pay, not 12 hours' worth of pay. Now, the question is, why did the landowner hire these workers so late in the day? Was it that the harvest was so uh, bountiful that he needed this one final push to get it all done by that 6pm curfew? Well, it's probably unlikely because I don't think Jesus is talking about sort of the Jewish uh, agriculture and the systems that work and how you farm and pay people in that way. More likely because Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven We see that these 11th hour workers, these ones who work for only an hour, were hired because they needed to receive a day's wage. So here's the thing. Labourers back then lived day to day. See, we we are told that they they were in the marketplace waiting to be hired. Can you imagine waking up every morning, going down, going across to South Village here, and hanging just above the escalators, waiting for someone to come and hire you. Not knowing if today is a day where you're going to have money to go to Coles and buy dinner and bring home for your family, or if it was going to be a day that you were going to return back home again empty-handed with no food and hungry bellies. It's pretty stressful, isn't it? These men are waiting to be hired And they are waiting not only to be hired but to be paid that same day. It doesn't operate in the way that we do now, whether it's weekly, fortnightly, monthly, or whatever it is you get paid. It was a day-by-day thing. In fact, the law had actually been set up this way. Deuteronomy chapter 24 verse 15 says this. It says, pay them their wages each day before sunset because they are poor and are counting on it. Otherwise, they might cry out to the Lord against you and you will be guilty of sin. So what is actually happening in this parable is actually what is the law is demanding. You hire someone, you pay them that day. You don't wait till tomorrow, you don't wait for another time. It is to be done now. Friends, this parable shows us the way that God treats us. Over and over again, the Bible portrays God as a gracious and generous God, blessing us not according to what we have earned and what we have done, but according to our needs. And he often goes over and above our needs. 
We know that he's blessed us in every way we can imagine through Christ Jesus. Through his death and resurrection, he's given us life, a new life, a life eternal. The truth is that we cannot earn anything from God. It is all by his grace. In fact, as Jesus says elsewhere, when we have done all that we have been commanded to do, in Luke 17, it says we should say, We have only done our duty. When we have done what God has commanded us to do as his children, we have not obligated God or earned his blessing in any way. Rather, all blessing comes to us in Christ Jesus and by the grace of God, not by what we do. For God, however, is not only generous with his grace, is also amazing in the way that he gives grace. The master of the vineyard, the owner, expresses it this way. Have a look. In chapter 20, verse 15, he says, Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Now, we might be troubled by the apparent unfairness of the landowner. After all, it does seem a bit unfair that those who work one hour get paid the same amount as those who have been there all day, those who started at 6 o'clock. Put yourself in, in the, the 6 a.m. shoes for a moment and you're seeing the person who started last getting a full day's wage. What races through your head? What races through your head? Not fair? Maybe you're starting to think, well, maybe I'm getting time and a half. Maybe you're getting double. But then when it comes to you and you get given the same amount, then you go, hang on, that's not fair. Why? Well, verse 12 tells us that those people who have been there all day bore the burden of the work and the heat of the day. This is unfair. This is unjust. How can this be? This is not right. Now, friends, This landowner in this parable is God. How many times have we cried out to God and say, this is unfair, this is unjust, this is not right? I'll tell you what, who who the people are who weren't calling out that. The ones who worked for an hour. They didn't think that this was unfair or unjust or not right. Rather, they considered the owner of the vineyard extremely, extremely generous. And the problem is if that we feel like this is unfair in this parable, then we are more likely to identify with the ones who have worked 12 hours than we are with the ones who have worked only an hour. Friends, as Christians, as we get along in our journey, the longer we're journeying in our faith as Christians, we can fall into the danger of not celebrating the grace of God in others. We can get jealous and bitter and frustrated. We can even think that that, that, that grace should be given to me, not them. 
I'm better than them. I've been doing this longer than them. This is not fair. Friends, our God is a gracious God. And as his children, as his people, we are called to be gracious in return. I thought I'd share just a, I know it's a sports story, I do apologise. I will try and make it as easy as possible. Because it's a sport that most people here probably have no idea about as well. So it's just a perfect illustration. But I'm hoping that you'll have grace with me. See, I'll tie that in. Here's, here's the story. There was a, uh, a coach, uh, he was a dad of, uh, of a son, uh, who joined an underage baseball team. So he's a baseball, what's that? And in this baseball team, there, was, uh, there were a few players who were really good. The majority of them just could not get it. They put their, their gloves on the wrong hand. They ran the wrong direction. They didn't know what they were doing. Anyway season went on and they lost every single match quite horribly and in the last game of the season in the very last section which is called an innings of the game they are down by one run and they have two out you need to get three out and it's game over and up steps one of the kids who is not even come close to hitting the ball once all season, even in training. Not only had he he not hit a ball, he had not even been able to catch a single ball ever. And he steps up to the plate. And they're already starting to think about packing up because he's going to get out, game over. Well, he blew the world away. He hit the ball. Ran to first, safe. Now all the parents and the team are going, this could be the best way to finish the season. We could do this because up comes our best hitter. He gets on, if he hits the ball, we can win this or at least draw. So you can imagine everyone is just peaking at this point in time. This is it. It's the last game, but we're going to win one. Have you ever been in a team that's never won a game and you come close? You know, like, this is, this is intense, right? There's a lot on the line. All right? And true to form, their best hitter creams the ball. The guy who uh, had, you know, first time he's ever hit the ball was running to second base like his life depends on it. He's like, this is the best thing ever. And he looks up and the ball's coming right for him. He's like, what do I do? I don't know. And he doesn't know the rules very well. He stuck out his hand and he caught it. (laughs) Out, game over. They lost by one. Now, here's the thing. Before everyone, as everyone's jaws hit the ground, the coach acted quicker than anyone. He turned to his team and he said, let's go celebrate. He hit the ball and caught the ball for the first time ever. (laughs) And so the team rushed out, cheered, lifted him up on shoulders. This kid had no idea he just lost the game for his team. All he knew was his team was celebrating the fact that he hit the ball for the first time and he caught the ball for the first time. What really mattered in that moment? Not winning. What mattered the most in that moment was the grace shown to that kid. No one picked out 
the fault. It's like, why did you catch it, you idiot? You should know better. No, they celebrated and extended grace to that kid and celebrated that, yes, he may have caught the ball for the first time at the worst possible time, the wrong time, but he caught the ball nonetheless. Friends, this parable teaches us the way we look at others should be the way that God looks at us with grace. We should celebrate the grace that we see in others. Even if we feel like, oh, you got it too late, or you've done it wrong, or I wish you would stop doing that, but actually extending grace and celebrating the fact that we have received grace from God and to celebrate that in each other, to show grace to one another. And so I want to finish tonight by doing this. If you've got a phone or you've got a, if you're a note taker, or you can do this later tonight, it really does not take long, trust me. I want you to get a piece of paper or, a, or your notes open in your phone. I want you to do two columns. If you've got a piece of paper, you can do this. Just draw a line through the middle. And on one side, I want you to write what God owes me. Write what God owes me and fill it in. Done? Quickest one ever, right? What does God owe me? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. See, the thing is that what we have before God is not merit, but actually demerit. We're thinking, um, we want to talk about debt and being owed. Well, God owes me his wrath. If we want to talk about justice and God owing me justice, well then God owes me punishment for the many, many ways in which I've offended him. God owes me nothing. On the other side of the page, in the other column, I want you to write this. Write all the things that we owe God. What do I owe God? And I'm not going to stop on this one for you to do that because you'll be here all night. You'll be here, actually, when we get here next Saturday. In fact, I dare say that there are not enough days in our life for us to ever finish that column. Because everything that we have comes from God. Everything we have comes from him. Not because we've earned it, but because of his merciful grace that he's poured out on us. Friends, there is no room in our hearts for the thought that God owes me anything. When I look at you, and I see that God has given you a gift of some kind or has blessed you in some way, and I say in my heart that that is not fair. Why them? Why not me? God, you owe me. What I do is I accuse God of being unfair and unjust and that his grace is not amazing but frustrating. What I do 
when I do that is I buy into this age of entitlement that says that I deserve everything. That I am entitled to everything. Friends, our only title is this. Sinner. Rebel. Friends, the only time, the only way that we have any other title is by the great mercy of God. It is only by his grace that he can give us the title of child of God that he gives us freely. And friends, that is what he's done for all of us who believe in Jesus. It is not because of what we have done, but what Jesus has done for us through his death and resurrection on the cross. See, the thing that the work, these workers that started at 6am forgot was that until the landowner came along, they were unemployed. Until the landowner came along and employed them, they were going to receive nothing that day. We can sometimes forget that too. That until God saved us through his son Jesus, we were going to receive nothing. Nothing at all. It is all God. Not what you do or don't do. It is all God. Here's the truth of the matter. We are all 11th hour workers. None of us have even come close to loving God with all of our heart and all our soul and all our mind and all our strength. None of us have come close to fully, perfectly loving our neighbours as ourselves. So let us learn to be thankful for all that God has given us and not begrudging his blessing and his grace that he pours out on anybody else. But let's celebrate it. Friends, that's what church is meant to be a part of, is us gathering together and celebrating what Jesus has done for us. We gather in his name and give him thanks, for in him we have God's amazing grace. Because without Jesus, without God doing this for us, we're running around blind, bumping into walls. We're driving around lost like we don't have a GPS. It is only through his amazing grace can we see God and know that we belong to him because we've been found. Let me pray. Dear gracious God, we thank you that no matter what we do or don't do, He won't earn us salvation. It won't earn us a life with you forever. Because all that is needed to be done has been done in your son Jesus. Father, we thank you for the grace that you have so freely poured out on those who trust in you. And Father, pray that tonight for those of us who have been journeying with you, trusting in you, who have been given the title children of God. Father, we pray that we would see this grace 
with great joy and delight, not just tonight or tomorrow, but every, every day. May we celebrate it. May we give thanks for it, not just in our lives, but in the lives of others. And Father, for those of us here tonight that are still on a journey of faith, Father, we ask that you tonight would have made clear that there is no ultimate good that wipes out all that we have done against you. It is only by your grace do you wipe that debt. Only by grace do you call us. Only by your grace do you give us eternal life. And Father, we pray that tonight that we would all take this to heart and that we would grab onto it with both hands and rejoice for all eternity. Amen.